I've just read a book about a woman who was the fastest person to ride around the world. Juliana Boring, her name is. Fascinating lady. She uh, completely unsupported. In fact, the only support that she had was kind of internet and telephone calls back to a, a guy in Naples who was phoning up and making plans for the next bit of her journey, booking hotels or, or small guest houses, booking flights. That's the only support that she had. And she cycled around the world alone. I just think that is just breathtaking. But I don't know about you, but do you ever wonder what, what causes people to go on incredible journeys? This book is all about a journey. I think I find her backstory actually even more fascinating in terms of the motivations for why she decided to go on this trip. She was brought up in the cult called the Children of God. Some of you will have heard of it. It's a crazy, wacky group of people that um, twist the kind of message of the Bible in all sorts of strange ways, and their children are brought up in this a crazy world separated from parents and, and abused and all sorts of bad stuff. And, and they kind of moved literally around the, the world to different locations, cut off from society. And uh, it was actually that experience in, in the life of Juliana that, that sparked this kind of, firstly, a kind of a nomadic life, but all, also an incredible sense of independence. So, so the backstory and, and the moments that went before it shaped the reason for the journey in her case. What we're talking about here, what we're working on, the motivations for the exodus, the journey that God's people make, is yes, it's a physical journey, but it's also a metaphorical journey. It's a journey of faith that they're making. That, that's what they're they are taking, a journey of faith. And, and very often, we need to remember that the backstory is incredibly important in terms of the journey that follows. Their backstory is essential, and, and as important is the first steps on their journey. You might be thinking about or maybe on the first steps of the Christian journey. Or you might be sort of, I, I've walked this pathway for years. We all need to be reminded at times of the backstory of our journey. And we need to be reminded of those first steps. We need to be helped and encouraged by those first steps when we've walked the journey for decades, we need to be reminded. And so, it's, it's for us, how do we use a book about a group of people leaving Egypt and walking across the desert? How is that helpful for us today? The way it's helpful for us is by seeing that it's a picture of walking by faith. And it's a way for us to say, I now place myself alongside your story, and I relate to your story, the, the mistakes that you make, the things that you do, the experiences that you have, and that is a warning to the journey that I take, 
an encouragement to the journey that I take, but I also reflect my journey, my journey of faith in Jesus Christ, if that's where we are this afternoon, and it's certainly what we're going to be speaking about, I reflect that journey as I watch the journey that these people make. So we want to place ourselves in their story, we want to see what's going on. I'll give you a quick reminder of where we got to. We find God's people in Egypt, and they are enslaved. What we saw last week is the culmination of a long period of time where God is speaking to Egypt, and He's essentially saying, you need to understand that there is a a decision to be made, which are the gods or the God that we are going to believe in? Which is the true God? That's the journey that went before this. And so, we have a long period of time where God speaks in things that happen in Egypt. It's called the plagues. And each of those plagues in different ways, God is speaking and and stating His superiority over the gods and structures and beliefs of Egypt. And then we reach this culminating point last week, which is God's final voice and also the springboard for the rest of the Bible, really, where we come to this moment, this Passover moment, where God's people reach this this kind of crossroads in the journey. They have at the same time experienced the the challenge of of the plagues on Egypt. They've been part of that experience. And now God says to them, right, at this moment in time, what you have to do, as we saw last week, you've got to take a lamb, you've got to uh, slay that lamb, you've got to take the blood, mark the blood on the doorposts, eat the meat through the night, and you have got to be ready to leave. Be prepared to go straight away. That is where we got to last week. And uh, at that moment, we see that God's people left Egypt. One of the features that we see, and it's a recurring feature, is the challenge of leaving. (laughs) That's what we see, certainly in this particular story, we see the challenge of leaving. The beginning of the journey, you know, who said one, every journey begins? Every great journey begins with one simple step or something like that. It's true, isn't it? Every journey is only a journey because it starts. It's actually the first step forward. I, I loved reading Juliana's. She, rad, she rad, rode around the world from Naples to Naples. That was her kind of starting and finishing point. And, and when she described those first few pedal turns leaving Naples... That was the start of a journey which was thousands and thousands and thousands of miles. But God's people had to start the journey. Starting a journey when you don't know what's ahead is a frightening prospect. That is a step of faith. Beginning a journey is a step of faith. If you today are thinking about that, should I follow this Jesus of Nazareth? 
who, who claims that He died as God present in this world to save me and liberate me, should I believe in that? Should I trust that? Should I follow that? Making that decision to take that step and follow is a step of faith into the unknown, and it is a fearful thing to do. We see it all over the place. It is our human nature to be terrified of first steps. We will stay in shocking, abusive relationships. We will stay in awful places of work. We will stay in terrible situations of where we live. And we will do that and we will stay there because the fear of stepping into the unknown is actually worse than staying where we are. I understand that. Making that first step is a terrifying thing. And that's why placing ourselves alongside the experience of these people as they took their first steps is important for us as we take the first steps of our journey of faith. And if you've taken that steps and you've been running for decades, then you probably need to be reminded again that you took those first steps. So let's have a look at what that faith looks like. The first thing I want to say is, and this sounds really obvious when we talk about faith, a journey of faith is always about faith. <laughs> that, that, that's kind of obvious in one sense, and yet we really need to state it. A journey of faith is all about faith. Look at the way we start in our reading, Exodus 13 and verse 17. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though that was shorter, for God said, if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God let the people, led the people around the desert road toward the Red Sea, and the Egyptians went out of Egypt ready for battle. They take this first step, they leave Egypt, and their first steps, their first journey is surprising. It is not where they expect that they would be going. But see what it says. He led them on the road, uh, did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, even though that was shorter. They end up going in a way which is surprising to them. It actually says in this little reading here, it says, for God said, if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. I, it, it speaks through this narrative in lots of places where God says, and the people hear it. The language that's used when that happens is it says, God spoke to Moses, and He spoke to the people. But it doesn't say that here. It says, God said. I think what that is saying is, it's the narrator is saying by 
divine speaking to him to understand what is going on is that God saw something and said something and decided something and led the people on something which they didn't know. He doesn't say God spoke to Moses and said, lead them on the, not on the road through the Philistine country because it's dangerous and the, they might turn back. I think that this is a narrative explanation later on of the journey of why they went the way they did. We live in a culture, don't we, of, which is obsessed with, with ease, with speed, with clarity, with explanation, and with understanding. All of those different experiences. We live in a culture obsessed with that. And faith stands against that. And their first steps of the journey are in a place where they do not know. They, they don't know where they're going. And God is leading them when they don't know where they're headed. We know that God's leading them because it speaks about a cloud, a pillar of cloud during the day and a pillar of fire at night. So, they are under no illusion about them being led, but they just don't know where they're going. If you want a metaphor for faith, it couldn't be clearer than this. God leads us on journeys where we do not have a clue where we're going. And yet we live in a, in a world which is obsessed with doing things quickly, getting to the end point quickly, achieving it quickly, knowing exactly what. And God says, that is not going to help you to grow your faith. You will not grow faith if every step that you take is one that I explain in all detail and we do it really quickly and we do it really neatly and everything lines up, you will not grow in your faith. You might grow in what's going to happen and your knowledge of what's going to happen next, but that's not helping you to trust me. Real trust in me comes from you not knowing but still being willing to follow. Do you know what? That is a journey of life, that kind of faith. It doesn't happen like that. It doesn't happen in six months, 12 months, 12 years, 20 years. Why? Because right the way through the journey of life, we are continually hitting points in that journey which are new to us new to our experience, and we constantly are facing them and having to say, I don't know where I am going. I haven't got a clue where I'm going, but I have still got to believe and I have still got to trust that metaphorically speaking, there is a cloud in front of me and a pillar of fire surrounding me so that I know that God is leading me, but right at the moment, I do not know where I am going. That is a good thing. <laughs> it doesn't feel it, does it? I, I, I don't feel that that's a good thing. I don't. 
I want to know what's going to happen. I, I'm a, I, like probably lots of people in here, by nature, I am a planner fixer. That, that's, that's who I am. I want to know what's happening. I want to know where we're headed, and I want to know how we're going to do it. And that does not work in growing faith. Growing faith comes by realizing step by step, <laughs> I look back and I see that it has happened. I see that God has had His hand on me precisely in the times when I don't know where I'm going. That's the journey. So, the first thing that I would say is this journey that we go on, there are hidden, re hidden experiences which we go through and they are the hand of God. They are the workplace of God. Hebrews 11 verse 1 puts it like this in terms of describing faith. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. That is a scary experience. But it is faith. It's the step that you might, right at this moment, need to take. You say, I don't know whether I can follow this Jesus because I don't know what might happen with that and that, and I don't know where He might take me, and, I, and that is precisely the step that need, you need to take. That is the first step of the journey, to say, yes, this step, as it was for the people of the Exodus, I will step out of this door, which has got blood stains on it. I will walk down this road, and I will step into I do not know where, but I believe and I trust that God is with me. But very often we want to stay in the place which we know, even though it's not necessarily the place where we want to be. Because not knowing is scarier than the horror of where we currently are. So, the first thing that we see is it's always about faith. The thing, second thing we see is it's not immediately easy. If faith is the foundation, then expectations are the building blocks. This idea of our society where everything is stress-free, that's the goal, that's the objective, that's the hope. A stress-free life, a pain-free life, a comfortable life. That's where we desire, that's where we hope. And yet, I mean, paradoxically, the very things which we build for ourselves, which are supposed to create all of that freedom and liberty, paradoxically become the very things that oppress us. You've heard me bang on, I don't know how many times, about connected tech. The very things which are supposed to give us freedom are the very things which actually end up oppressing us. What about the idea of restraining the constraints of faith? Let's, get, let's banish this idea of faith. That's been the journey that Western society has been on for the past 150, 200 years. Let's get rid of this idea of faith. Let's become autonomous human beings with, without looking anywhere. That's real freedom. That's, that's freedom. Let's get rid of these constraints of the idea of a divine 
demand upon us. Let's liberate ourselves. And then once we realize that we only have ourselves to look at, we realize that we've thrown away any hope. <laughs> we are left with no hope. We, when we only look internally, when we only look to humanity, we realize that we have no hope. When we, we seek to resolve our well-being by only looking inside, and we realize that the deeper and the deeper that we look inside, the more actually we've got challenges to confront. I, I love the insights and the wisdom and the clarity of thinking that comes from the incredible perspectives that we have in terms of psychological and mental health perspectives which are developing. But there is a point at which by when they continue to only look inside, we hit a brick wall. And the brick wall is finally, I will be more shocked than I could ever imagine at what I might think and what I might possibly do. I cannot fix myself. I need to be saved from outside. Holding those things in combination, it is not immediately easy. Look at what happens in uh, Exodus chapter 14 and verse 2. Look at what God, speak, God speaks and He says, Tell the Israelites to turn back and encamp near Pi-Hiroth between Migdol and the sea. They are to encamp by the sea directly opposite Baal-Zephon. Pharaoh will think, the Israelites are wandering around the land in confusion, hemmed in by the desert, and I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them. But I will gain glory for myself, but well, and he will pursue them. Let's, let's end it there. God says, right, now that you've taken this strange route, I want you to turn back on yourselves and end up in a place which kind of makes you sitting ducks for Pharaoh. That, that's... That is not good strategically. Really, that is not a wise thing to do. If you've managed to escape, you know, all the advice that we get today is if you've managed to escape, run and just keep running. And God says, having, having escaped, now turn back and place yourselves where you are going to have a problem. That's what God leads them to. You know, I sometimes think we suck Christian thinking into the world of self-help, where we, we say that, come to faith in Jesus and everything will be great. You'll be released, you'll be liber liberated, you'll be freed, and your life will be joyful, or that is the kind of veneer that we place over it. We say it will be wonderful. <laughs> Do you know what it is? It is wonderful. You are liberated. You are freed. But let me give you the heads up. That does not mean that life is going to be easy. It doesn't mean that. You are liberated. But it's a deeper liberation than the immediate freedom. God says, let me place you in a place of real risk. 
because that's where you will learn how to grow your faith. Trust me in this. Let me place you in a place of risk. So we've seen it's all about faith. It's not immediately easy, this journey. Next thing, we see something which shocks us. If it's, not, if it's all about faith and it's not immediately easy, I want to ask the question, what is the motivation to do it? Why should I be motivated, therefore, to go on this journey? The answer to that in this text works against every idea that Western thinking, individual thinking, be at the center of everything would promote, and it's this. Look at what it says in verse 4. Sorry, yeah, in verse 4. I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them. That's what's going to happen, but I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh. And all his army and the Egyptians will know that I am God. It's always about faith. It's not immediately easy. Here's the third one. It is all about God's glory. (laughs) What? Putting me in a dangerous place is all about your glory? Put me in a place where it's all about you looking supreme. That works against anything that we would ever conceive as being of any worth or any value. It's all about you. Why should I do this if the motivation for me to start this journey is so that you're going to look better? Because that's what God says. He says, I'm going to bring glory to me through what happens with you. Getting our heads round that idea, getting our heads round entering into that kind of way of thinking is a journey of faith. (laughs) But let me give you a little insight that takes us from this statement that God makes to the way in which we see it finally worked out. So, so we have this picture right at the beginning of God establishing this people, and He says, you need to understand that the journey that you make, it's going to be all about me being glorified. It's all about me. Let me see, let me show you now how far I will go to bring glory to me. And we find, I think, one of the clearest insights to that is in John chapter 17, where Jesus prays immediately before He is being crucified, okay? So, in a sense, we could kind of place Jesus a bit like the Exodus people, couldn't we? He is now in a place of immediate threat in the same way as they are in immediate threat, God says to them, as as Egyptian armies are about to pursue them, God says to them, you're there because I'm going to get all the glory. What does Jesus say? 
Immediately before he is crucified, he says this. Jesus said this. He looked toward heaven and he prayed, Father, the hour has come. The hour has come. If you read John, John is always talking about the hour. It's one of his kind of badges. It's, a, it's an idea that follows right the way through. The hour is all about the moment where Jesus is most understood, his crucifixion. And he says again and again, the hour has not yet come, the hour is near, the, the hour is not yet, it's ready, it's close at hand. All sorts of different ways about talking about the hour. And now Jesus says, the hour is here. He's about to be betrayed. What does he say? The hour has come, glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. Jesus says, the greatest way in which you are glorified is when I glorify you. And the greatest way that you are glorified is when you glorify me. That's when this virtuous cycle of relationship and exaltation works. Jesus says, the moment when I get nailed to the cross, the moment when I am shedding my blood, when I am dying on a cross, is the moment when you are glorified. And it's also the moment when I am glorified. Isn't that amazing? God doesn't say, to the, Egypt, to the Israelites who are about to be, feel as if they're about to be slaughtered by the Egyptians, you let me get all the glory and I'll stand distant. I'll keep my hands clean. Eventually, he uses it as a journey which takes Jesus to being at the very center of human suffering. And it's all about his glory. It's all about the glory of Jesus which is working out to to bring glory to God the Father and the Father bringing glory to God the Son in that moment. It is all about God's glory. But here's the thing. Jesus enters into this and he says, effectively in that prayer, which is a beautiful prayer, I encourage you to read it, he basically says, it is joyful for me to bring glory to you. It is joyful. It is the very, the very heart of my joy in this world. When we realize that the greatest joy that our human experience can find is that sense of oneness with God in this world where our desire is to glorify Him, we receive more joy than we could ever imagine. More joy than we could ever believe is possible. When we let go of our self-centeredness and we look to, some, some, to God Himself as being the center of our joy and we say it's all about you, God does not tread us down on the ground and stamp on us and say thanks very much. He says, now I lift you up because finally you've got it. Finally, you've got it. You understand it. It is all about my glory because that is the best place that you can ever be in every part of your life. 
in every phase of your life? Are you living in every part of your life to bring glory to me? When you go into the office, when you're in your relationships, when you're in your neighborhood, when you're trying to decide what to do next in your career, is the glory of me at the center of it? Because I'll tell you now, when you are making the glory of me at the center of it, you will receive a deeper sense of joy and peace and happiness that you could never have understood beforehand. Because that is when we are together. The honoring of me is the journey. So it's always about faith. It's not immediately easy. It's about God's glory. Here's the next thing. We're not walking it alone. We're not walking it alone. I've been pretty amazed. Um, we've, th there's a verse in this reading which has been really important to us as a family over the past months. It's been incredible. Sometimes God speaks in really clear and powerful ways, which sometimes you just kind of, you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna hear this. I, 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 want, I want you, have you heard it? Yeah, I think I've heard it. And then you get for the, are you really sure you've heard this? No, I th I'm sure I've heard this. Well, let me just underline it three times because you need to hear this. That's how God deals with us sometimes. Verse 13 and 14 are amazing. Because if it's all about God's glory, how do I go about it? How do I go about seeking God's glory? What do I do? Moses answered the people. They are, they are like, what? I prefer to die as a slave. What have you brought us out here for? To be corpses in the sand, I think is the language that he's using. The, 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 the Israelite people are using. We're going to be corpses in the sand. It would have been better to die as slaves in Egypt. Moses says, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. Moses had been given a confidence of future by God in words that he was able to declare to these people that what is going to unfold is going to be, on, be beyond your wildest imaginations. Now, what do you need to do to access that? The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. For all the fixers in the room, <laughs> you need only to be still. For all the strategists, you need only to be still. What does that mean? Well, it certainly doesn't mean that you don't have to do anything. <laughs> I think what God is doing is He's saying to the people, You've forgotten already. Remember back in Egypt, what did you have to do to be liberated? What did you actually have to do? You had to eat a Passover meal, having sacrificed a lamb and then leave. You had to observe what I was doing. That's all you had to do. 
Be still doesn't mean stand still. It means be still in your hearts. Be still in your emotions. Be still in your mind and in your strategy and in your thinking. It doesn't mean don't plan. It doesn't mean don't take steps forward. It means this. Be still in your confidence in me. Be stable that I have got you. I've got this. All you see is Egypt on one side and the sea on the other. It's impossible. You're going to die in that direction and you're going to die in that direction. You've had it. It's how you see it. Be still in your minds. Be at peace. Psalm 46, I think it is. Psalm 46 says this. God says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The job of bringing glory to me is my job. And what you've got to do is you've got to be still and be faithful. You've just got to, you've just got to open the doors. You've got to walk through the steps. And as, let me just tell you now what, what kind of steps you're going to take in the next few hours. I'm going to part the sea. <laughs> and you're going to walk through. You're going to walk through death and live at the other side. And the Egyptians who are following you are going to walk through death and die. And that is exactly, metaphorically, that is exactly the confidence that Jesus had when he said, glorify me as I glorify you. Because I am not going to metaphorically walk through death I'm really going to walk through death. I'm really going to walk through death. And I'm going to live at the other side. You see, Jesus' cross the pa- is, is reflected in this Passover and this journey that the people make. They take the Passover. They, Jesus becomes the lamb that is slain. Then they walk through death and they live on the other side and Jesus lives on the other side of death. And that is the very reason why we can be still. That is the very reason why our emotions and our hearts can be still. Because He's got this. He's got you. You know, I don't know about you, but in certain situations, we'll often say, well, look, what's the worst that can happen? What's the worst that can happen? Do you know the worst that can happen can actually be pretty awful, can't it? It can seem final. But our confidence in Jesus, as expressed in these people, and seen in Jesus, is our faith. The worst that can happen will not defeat me. I will live. And he will get the glory. We're going to sing our final song, which is Oceans. Let's stand together and sing.